Today from the Global Lane, Global Culture War, Marxist Mindset Manipulating Education, Entertainment, Media, and now, Capitalist Corporations. It was only a matter of time before they took business as well. Indefinite Assignment, Why National Guard Troops Are Still Occupying Capitol Hill. The Future of the American Conservative Movement. If Trump bows out, who may take the lead in 2024? Senator Cruz is knocking on the door slowly, trying to get in. And sex-altering surgeries, letting children decide? We should be outraged that someone's talking to a three-year-old about changing their sex. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. Culture war rising. It's led by big tech and monster corporations influencing not only what you spend and what you buy, but what you think. The CEOs of Apple, Disney, Amazon, and other companies have injected their political views into corporations, global banks, and markets. And if you, your state, or charity disagree with their left-leaning values, you and they may face ridicule and financial retribution. Here to explain what is happening and why is Stephen Sukup. Mr. Sukup is vice president and publisher of the Political Forum and director of the Political Forum Institute. His new book is... The Dictatorship of Woke Capital, How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you with us. So before we get into Cook, Iger, and Bezos, others, tell us how Marxist socialist values, actually embraced by capitalist CEOs, became a priority for big business. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's a long story. Uh, it's a fascinating story, and it's a, it's a sad story. Um, after World War I, uh, in the early 1920s, uh, a group of uh, Marxists in Germany and Italy throughout uh, Central Europe uh, sat down to think uh, why their revolution never occurred. Uh, they had expected for the war to trigger the revolution. It didn't. Uh, and they had no idea why. And so they sat down uh, to ponder it. And wh what they figured uh, was that uh, most of the people in society, and particularly the workers, uh, were suffering from what they called false consciousness. They took um, education. They took uh, a lot of main mainline religion. Uh, they took entertainment. They took media. And the last standing uh, cultural institution in the West uh, was business. Uh, it was only a matter of time before they took business as well. Uh, and, and that's where we are today with uh, the cultural leftists finally getting their hands on uh, the final institution of cultural transmission uh, in the West. And, and this is hard to believe because actually these wealthy CEOs of these companies uh, have gained from capitalism. They're wealthy because of capitalism. So you mentioned how corporations used a divestment strategy to pressure the South African government into ending apartheid. Now, I reported on that many years ago from Johannesburg and Washington. And you don't mention it in your book, but tell us about the role corporations are playing in the BDS movement against Israel, who's driving that? Well, um, who's the, the same people who are driving that, who are driving most of uh, the anti-Zionism and most of, of the aggression uh, against Israel. Um, and that's activists, political activists. Um, the difference is that some corporations uh, are susceptible uh, to the pressure placed upon them uh, by these political activists. And to be honest, it doesn't matter what their political views are. They need to satiate and to quiet 
uh, the uh, protesters. So um, we get a situation where uh, an outside influence is affecting the way a corporation behaves, and in this case, uh, affecting their behavior toward Israel. You mentioned Apple's alliance with Disney, how their CEOs use their corporate economic clout to hurt religious liberties legislation in Georgia and to punish the state of North Carolina over its law on the use of gender-specific bathrooms. So tell us about that, and is this a trend? More to come? Uh, certainly, I think there's more to come. Um, what we had, uh, I believe it's four years ago, uh, in the states of Georgia and North Carolina uh, were uh, policies that were passed by uh, the by the legislatures that were elected uh, by the people uh, and that were signed or threatened to be signed uh, by the uh, duly elected executives of the state uh, that businesses decided they didn't like. Uh, and they stomped their feet and uh, threw a fit and said, if you go ahead and enact the democratic will of the people, we are going to punish you. Um, it came to a head uh, two years after that uh, in, in Georgia, uh, when the people of Georgia uh, elected a center-right legislature and a center-right governor uh, who passed and then signed uh, a fetal heartbeat law. Um, and the entertainment uh, industry in particular, uh, led in this case by Disney, uh, decided that they didn't particularly care for uh, the people of Georgia uh, exercising their political will that way. So they threatened uh, the Georgians. So when Bob Iger of Disney uh, and some of the other entertainment moguls said, you know what, I don't see how we're going to be able to do business in your state. What they were really saying was, I don't care about these 100,000 people who are employed uh, by my industry in your state. Uh, what I care about is getting my political way. Well, and I guess we're going to see this continue. It's really an anti-Christian, anti-Judeo-Christian uh, morals and values uh, at play here. So finally, quickly, how can people push back against this corporate political domination of our society? These CEOs have a lot of money, well, a lot I, of clout. I, absolutely, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of clout. And uh, they have the backing of uh, the financial services industry, uh, which has gotten heavily involved in this over the past couple of years. Uh, the way to push back, I think, uh, is to inform yourself. Understand what's happening, uh, why it's happening, and who's making it happen. Uh, and then once you understand that, you can probably uh, make small changes in your life uh, to uh, direct the uh, money that you've earned in your life, that you're saving for your retirement, that you're saving for your kids' college education, uh, that you can make small changes to uh, utilize that more effectively uh, to cut off these uh, people who would use uh, your wealth uh, to advance their political ends. Okay, use their tactic, hit them in the pocketbook. Your book is The Dictatorship Absolutely. of Oak Capital. How Political Correctness Captured Big Business. Stephen Sukup, thank you for sharing your insights with us today. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Six weeks after Joe Biden's inaugural, about 6,000 National Guard troops still remain in Washington, D.C., guarding the U.S. Capitol building. The cost to taxpayers is estimated at half a billion dollars. Here to share some thoughts on this is U.S. Army retired chaplain Colonel David Giamona. Mr. Giamona is co-author of the book, The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. David, I want to discuss your book and how recent political developments uh, may indicate that we are nearing the end times. But first, let's uh, discuss 
uh, what is happening with the National Guard in the U.S. Capitol. Now, the National Guard is still there. Why do you think troops are still there and may likely remain there for some time to come? Some people are saying even into the fall. Uh, I think there's a lot of fear at, at the Capitol. I think the Democrats are trying to send a message to the, us Americans that they're in control. And um, those Guard members don't need to be there, shouldn't be there. Um, and so they are there. And it's kind of indicating to me that uh, not only are they fearful, but they're trying to project power upon the people. And so, you know, the Great Reset, the, those things that uh, people are globalists want to, you know, get our world into a one world government. This is a, a power projection play. Uh, I was in the military 32 years. Uh, we've never seen anything like this before. And uh, it's just an indicator of things to come here in the near future as the global reset takes place. The Posse Comitatus Act of 1878 prohibits the use of Army troops to enforce domestic policy. And the argument here, of course, would be the National Guard troops are not federal. They belong to the states. But aren't they under the direction of the U.S. Army? It seems like a gray line here. Your thoughts? You're exactly right. The, that policy is to prevent, you know, military takeovers of, of our country. So, uh, you know, there's going to be some interesting things. And that's why we wrote the military uh, guide to Armageddon because of the great fears that people would face here in the end times. And that's just one of many things going around the world right now. I want to talk about that in a moment, but the Capitol building, it seems yeah. more like a fortress. We've got 12 foot high fencing topped with barbed wire that's surrounding about a three mile square area there. So there's talk about making that permanent. I've traveled about to about two thirds of the world. I've not seen anything like that, Colonel, surrounding other capitals or parliament buildings. So why these drastic measures in America today? What do you anticipate in the days ahead? More of this to come? Yes, well, I do think more of this to come. Um, the Democrats' leadership is not interested in the Constitution. And so they're not following the Constitution. Uh, they're discriminating against many of the policies that the Army has put together for many, many years. And so, yes, I anticipate more things like this to come as they are trying to project power over the people here in the United States of America. And it needs to come to a stop. Republicans, uh, conservatives, Christians around the world, especially in America, need to voice their opinion. And those troops need to go home right now. Yeah, I, ha I have friends and also colleagues. We have a bureau in D.C., but I also have friends there who are saying they've never seen D.C. like that before. I was just up in Virginia. I didn't get to see the Capitol you know, this time around, but the fact of the matter is uh, we, we cannot project that kind of fear into people, and so we have to come together as a country and eliminate many of the things that are happening right now because they are a travesty of our Constitution, of our justice system. Okay, you say it's all about control, and I know in your book you talk about knowing your enemy, being battle-ready for the end times. C.S. Lewis is quoted. He describes the world as enemy territory, and you mentioned that we have at least three enemies. You're not talking politics and socialism here. Briefly, tell us who and what are they? The three enemies that I mentioned in the book are enemies of believers. They're sin. We don't talk about sin a lot, in the church even, but it's sin is the and the flesh, that thing that's inside of us that is enemy or opposed to God, and Satan, uh, our greatest enemy, who is alive in the world. And the Bible says he's the God of this world. So in our book, we, 
we outline ways of combating that by getting into the Word of God, by being vigilant, by being battle ready. In these end times, the church really needs to rise up and cloak itself in the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the rivers of living water, and the power of God that has given us. It's time for us, the church, to rise up in the name of Jesus Christ. And you mentioned many steps that we must take to be salt and light in the world and prepare for the approaching hardship and suffering that you talk about, emergency preparedness, uh, things like that. And what should we do to prepare spiritually and physically? The first thing we need to do to prepare is to be vigilant, to be ready. As Jesus said, watch and pray. Many of our believers are not watching and praying right now. If I hand you a rifle to go to war, you know, I want you to be prepared, know the doctrine behind the army and those kinds of things so you don't get killed and I don't get killed and we engage the enemy. It's the same as the believer in Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared, understand the Word of God, read the Word of God, do the Word of God. And so, and, and get mentors around you, you know, leaders and trainers that can help you in these end times become the person that God has called you to be. So it's a very exciting time to be in because the coming of the Lord, the rise of the Antichrist, and all the things that the Bible talks about is here right now. Okay, unfolding right before us, the book is The Military Guide to Armageddon, Battle-Tested Strategies to Prepare Your Life and Soul for the End Times. Thanks so much for sharing your insights, David. God bless you, sir. Good to be with you on your program today. Do you miss me yet? Those were the words uttered by Donald Trump at the start of his first post-presidency speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Florida this week. Attendees warmly welcomed the former president, and an overwhelming majority said they still view Trump as the Republican Party leader. So what does the future hold for Donald Trump and the American conservative movement? Well, here to set us straight is Autry Pruitt. Mr. Pruitt is the CEO of New Journey PAC. Autry, it's always good to have you with us. So a poll taken at CPAC of the attendees there showed overwhelming support for Donald Trump as the Republican 2024 presidential nominee. So why are they sticking with Trump over, say, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who was their second choice, and South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, who placed third in the poll? The reason why they're sticking with Trump is because Trump was the original leader of the America First movement. So as the original leader, you always want your original leader to last as long as possible. But we're a long way out from the election. It doesn't feel like it, but we are. And so I'm sure by the time we get there, items are going to tighten up just a little bit. Well, I know former President Trump said he would not form a third party, calling it fake news. And he said yeah. that would split the Republican vote and assure a Democratic win. So your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of conservatives would like to see a new party formed, one that is absent of rhinos, Republicans in name only. Yeah. The problem is this. Rather or not we like rhinos and we do want to target them, they still vote with you 60 percent of the time, right? Or even 70 or 80 percent of the time. So would you rather have somebody that votes with you no time or 70, 80 percent of the time? So you target them in the primary, you try to get them out. But if you can't get them out, you join forces when you can. To push back this onslaught against the left, it's going to take all stripes. It's going to take the Romneys and even the creepies like Liz Cheney, as well as those that are more conservative, such as Ted Cruz. It's going to take us all to be back the left. So... 
No third party. It's not the time. I don't believe Trump is actually going to run again, but that's just my personal uh, amateur expert opinion. Well, then uh, if he doesn't, Audrey, do you think DeSantis and Noam would have a shot? I think DeSantis may have a shot, but DeSantis has an election to win in Florida first. He needs to focus on Florida first, and so does Noam, right? They got to focus on their states first. I would keep my eye on Senator Ted Cruz, right? He's done a lot of pivoting lately, and I believe Senator Cruz is knocking on the door slowly trying to get in. So you don't think the Cancun uh, debacle hurt him any then? It hurt him, but by the time we get there, the Cancun debacle <laughs> will be over. Long right? forgotten. Um, <laughs> yeah, lo long in today's political cycle, long forgotten. Well, so if, if Trump doesn't run, uh, he does still want to stay and reshape the Republican Party, and most people would agree yeah. that he's definitely moved the party in a new direction, Autry, over the past five years. Now, he'll be facing a challenge of his own in the days ahead with his tax return investigation, possible lawsuits, attacks against him that are ongoing. What must be done to unify the party in the days ahead? What must be done to unify the party is to bring all of the groups that are within the party uh, to, to bring them all in, welcome them all in, let them all hammer in their missions, right? So the solution is not to consolidate power into one apparatus, whether that's Trump at Mar-a-Lago or Cruz in Texas or DeSantis in Florida. The solution is to just keep fighting. Set, set, take his of his $15 billion, take $1 billion, put it aside, and make that your legal fund. And, sit, and send the dogs after him. And I would start countersuing people, by the way, left and right. Well, he seemed a bit more subdued at CPAC than he has been in the past. And he, but he kept talking about a stolen presidential election, and many people think he should just move beyond that. I would say to move on, I would say it's time to change the messaging. And the messaging is this. Republicans, you need to fight like heck for every single vote. You must fight every single vote without question. And you need to do a large part of why why the, the Democrats were able to, to, to let's say, jerry-rig the election in certain places. A large part of the reason they were able to do that is because Republicans didn't do their job. Republicans didn't do their job. They didn't do absentee ballot, voter chasing. They didn't set up proper polling operations, right? They didn't do ballot harvesting where ballot harvesting was legal. We don't do what we're supposed to do, bare minimum, and take every advantage of the system. And I know so I you think and that's I. That's the messaging going forward. And, and Autry, you and I talked in the past about uh, actually Republicans getting into minority communities and staying there and, and, and working with the people mm -hmm. rather than just showing up uh, just before there's an election. Okay, Autry right. Pruitt, CEO of New Journey PAC. Thank you for setting us straight today, Autry. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me on board. At least 59 countries worldwide have banned female genital mutilation. It's a despicable act of cutting a girl's genitalia for social or cultural reasons. Senator Rand Paul says while that butchery is universally condemned, many people on the political left accept the mutilation of children for the purposes of irreversible sex change surgeries. Here's Senator Paul recently questioning Health and Human Services nominee Rachel Levine. Dr. Levine, do you believe that minors are capable of making such a life-changing decision as changing one's sex? 
Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field. Uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Let it go into the record that the witness refused to answer the question. The question is a very specific one. Should minors be making these momentous decisions? For most of the history of medicine, we wouldn't let you have a cut sewn up in the ER. There are dozens and dozens of people who've been through this who, who regret that this happened and a permanent change happened to them. And you know, if you've ever been around children, 14-year-olds can't make this decision. In the gender dysphoria clinic in England, 10% of the kids are between the ages of three and 10. We should be outraged that someone's talking to a three-year-old about changing their sex. Yes, Senator Paul, where's the outrage? Remember when Senator Bob Dole asked that when he ran for president in 1996? He was referring to Clinton administration scandals. There was a little outrage back then, even less now, when it comes to mutilating our children. Sex-altering surgeries and hormone therapy have lifelong consequences for complex identity issues. I have a question for the women watching this. How many of you were pre-adolescent or teen tomboys? For most of you, it was just a stage and growing up, and many of you today may be happily married and have children, maybe grandchildren. Aren't you glad your parents or the government never forced you into altering your sex simply because you demonstrated a proclivity for behaving like a boy? Irreversible sex-altering surgery would have prevented you from having children once you grew out of that tomboy stage and became an adult. True, some people never grow out of it. While I don't support anyone physically changing their gender, the gender that God has ordained, such a decision should only be made by well-informed, mature, consenting adults. Parents and governments have no business imposing that life-altering surgery on any minor or allowing a child to make that decision. While genital mutilation is banned in many countries around the world, reconstructive surgical mutilation for the purpose of altering the sex of a minor should be treated as a human rights violation because it violates the rights of children. Liberals, remember you often say, it's all for the children. Yes, and in this case, the children should decide once they become adults. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, SoundCloud, Parler, MeWe, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.